I'm at rest, literally inside. I am at peace and rest. I'm no longer driven by those carnal desires that I once was. And the end result of everything I've just mentioned is an incredible feeling of freedom that I can't even begin to put into words for you. But it's real and it's lasting and it's wonderful. What are the roots of sexual sin and how should we deal with them? The Apostle Paul said that the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, but that the mindset on the flesh is death. Sexual addiction is not a disease. It's the fruit of a mind that has been set on the flesh. But there is hope for anyone in sexual sin, because Paul also gives us a solution. He says that if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we do that? How do we set our minds on the Spirit so that our hearts and lives truly change? We'll answer these questions today on Purity for Life. Having a mind set on the flesh is really just living according to your natural desires, seeking to gratify the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And at Pure Life, we refer to this as the self-life, the life that comes out of the flesh. Most of the men who come to us for help don't even see that their self-life is controlling them. It's a hidden and often untreated root of sexual sin, and... If it isn't identified and dealt with thoroughly, it will continue to bear its ugly fruit again and again. So to start off today, I want to play an interview with our Director of Counseling, Ed Book. I hope that this interview will help you examine your own life to see where you may be living to please yourself. Well, Pastor Ed, we're dealing with another overlooked factor in battling sexual sin, and that's the self-life. This is a term we use a lot at PLM, but maybe a lot of people haven't heard this word before. So when I think of this word self-life, to me it kind of suggests the idea of selfishness. And is being selfish what we really mean when we're talking about the self-life, or is it something more? Well, Brooks, I would define the self-life as really just what the terms self and life suggest. It's living for self pursuing what I want, living by my feelings, living for my pleasures, a me-first attitude. It's me at the center of everything. And I would say that that means it's something more than mere selfishness. So living for self isn't just, you know, some character flaw or weakness, like someone who has a tendency to act in a selfish manner toward others. It's a pervasive mindset and a lifestyle that we've come into and adopted. And what really defines it, honestly, is that inward flow where everything is geared to benefit me and fulfill my desires or expectations. And that inward flow is the exact opposite of the outward flow that Jesus taught us. You know, another common Christian word I'm reminded about as we discuss this is the word pride. Is pride the same thing then as the self-life perhaps? Well, not exactly. Uh, Pride is essentially thinking highly of myself or taking pleasure in who I perceive myself to be 
so pride sustains the self-life, if you can picture that. Pride feeds my self-life by keeping the focus on me, keeping my own focus on me. And it also protects my self-life. It's very much like a watchdog that guards and protects the self-life. So if anyone gets between me and my self-image or my carnal desires, they're almost certainly going to be attacked by my pride. I guess I would say it like this. Pride and selfishness are indicators that I have a strong self-life, whereas humility and being others-oriented would be indicators that someone has really learned to deny self and to nail self to the cross where it really belongs. All right, so you've given us a couple of the overall aspects of this, this outward flow versus an inward flow. Can you just describe in more concrete detail the life of a typical addict? Because I know this sex, the sexual sin, obviously, and the other parts of like this inward flow, those things take a specific shape in someone's life, right? Yeah, absolutely, Brooks. I mean, if, if we think just in terms of, of a typical sex addict for a minute, uh, let's talk about his job because most of them are probably employed in some measure, but the job is just a means to an end for them. They're there for the paycheck. They're really not very invested, and they probably are doing a lot of personal things on company time, uh, maybe even looking at pornography while they're supposed to be working, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of Sex addicts are in a double lifestyle, so he may well attend church, but it's probably the bare minimum, and there's no personal devotion life behind any of that. It's just a duty, an obligation that gets performed occasionally once a week or thereabouts. Uh, and on the family side, it really probably shows up there more than anywhere because uh, that, that's the people he's supposed to be closest to, but in reality, he's become disconnected from his family and probably holds them at arm's length even with uh, a measure of anger, maybe even unpredictable anger that keeps them from interrupting or intervening in his pursuit of self uh, of his self-life. And um, he's probably full of excuses why he can't uh, fulfill his responsibilities to his wife or his children in some measure, maybe even financially. And uh, in general, I would just say it like this. He's probably maximizing his time alone so he can literally give himself over to his selfish desires. Well, it's not a pretty picture. No, it isn't, Brooks. But I want to say that there is hope for this person. He can truly turn around. He can really take heed to some of the things we're talking about here today and begin to dismantle that self-life. Okay, I think I'm understanding this whole concept a little better. Let's link it back now to our overall goal of getting victory over sexual sin. Why is dealing with this self-life so important if we want victory? Well, the simple answer, Brooks, is that the self-life is the root system that has produced the fruit of sexual sin in a person's life. So if you want to get rid of that fruit, you really do have to deal with the root system. That does seem to make sense. Let me take an alternative point of view for a second, though. I know there's just so many strategies and forms of treatment out there for sexual addiction, and a lot of them really don't mention anything about the self-life or anything like that. So are you really saying that it's impossible to stop committing sexual sin without addressing this issue? 
And if someone could theoretically quit sexual sin without dealing with the self-life, then why focus on it at all? Well, I, I think it's true that for anyone who's been addicted to any form of sexual sin, in, including masturbation, by the way, that dealing with the self-life is essential for lasting victory. Lust is part of that inward flow I mentioned earlier. So lust is taking, it's gaining something for self. And if I'm going to overcome lust, I need to develop the outward flow. I must learn to be uh, literally a giver instead of a taker. And as that transformation takes place, I'm literally having my, my self-life dismantled. And frankly, Brooks, the, the way to victory over sexual sin isn't to deal with the sexual sin like so many might presume. It's to deal with the root system, the self-life. All right. Well, if someone is ready to start dealing with that, can you help us understand what are some of the basic aspects of that process, dismantling the self-life? Sure, Brooks. It really has to always begin with a relationship with the Lord. Uh, The self-life has to be crucified ultimately, but that will never happen until I first develop a genuine relationship with the Lord. And by that, I mean a relationship that's continually growing through a vibrant devotional life, through prayer, Bible study, and just communion with the Lord and, and seeking him in all the spiritual disciplines that are laid out for us in Scripture. And another key part of that would be uh, having people in our life that uh, we've given a place, a, a permission, so to speak, to speak into our lives, to call us out on our unchristlike behaviors. And beyond that, then, we need to look uh, to what the Bible clearly teaches. Jesus said that we are to deny self, then take up our cross and follow him. So self-denial and self-control are the biblical mandates that we're given to deal with our self-life. What that means in practical terms is that you're literally engaging in a putting off and a putting on process, um, a process where you're tackling the behaviors that are springing up and flowing out of your self-life and literally putting off or divorcing yourself from those behaviors, eliminating all of those behaviors ultimately. And in fact, Brooks, Romans 8.13 comes to mind because the Bible uses a phrase in that verse about mortify or put to death the deeds of the flesh. And also in that verse makes it very clear that it's the Holy Spirit who has to play a key role in helping us do that. This isn't something we're able to do in our own strength. And so in that putting off process, there the other side of it is a putting on process where we're learning and uh, adopting the behaviors that are Christ-like that need to take the place of our former deeds. And let me hasten to add, Brooks, that that's a lifelong process. I I don't want to mislead people about that. Yeah, you know, that was what I was going to ask you next, was realistically speaking, with the men that you counsel, you see this then playing out on, you know, months and even sometimes for some aspects over maybe even years of their life? Well, uh, in some ways, yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I would hope that the sexual sin in itself would fall off long, <laughs> early on in the process. But uh, certainly when it comes to putting on Christ-like behavior, 
that is a tremendous uh, undertaking that I'm still, after 14 years of victory over sexual sin, I'm still pursuing the putting on process, absolutely, and and in some measure the putting off process. I'm, I have not arrived, but I know where I'm headed, and the Lord is uh, able to get us to a place where our victories are uh, more the pattern of our life than our failures. Well, are there other changes that somebody can expect to begin happening in their life as they start to deal with the self-life? And if so, what are those? Well, Brooks, the bottom line is that the person is becoming more Christ-like. So the works of the flesh are being overcome and are disappearing from his life. The fruit of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are becoming increasingly evident. And as a result uh, of that transformation taking place, there is a peace with God that's unlike anything you've ever experienced before. There is actually a true oneness with the Lord developing between you and him. Yeah, I I can tell this is something you've experienced yourself, this transition, right? Give us a little more idea for you what that's meant. Sure. That oneness that I'm trying to describe, Brooks, that actually shows up in my relationship with the Lord, in my quiet times, in my devotional time with him. They're so much more alive, and I'm connected, and I know that I'm connected. So there's something really meaningful happening that draws me in and makes me look forward to them. Uh, so I'm not in engaging in some duty or some obligation or just some dry time with the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. It, I'm not saying it's always, you know, peaches and cream, but uh, there certainly are times when it's a little more like oatmeal. But uh, but by and large, there's something happening between me and the Lord, a connection that is drawing me closer to him and making it easier to engage with him. And along with all of these things, there's that indescribable joy that I've got now that comes from being in a place where my inside world and my outside world are actually the same. I'm not having to exert all my energy trying to uh, pretend to be something I'm not or someone I'm not. I'm at rest, literally inside. I am at peace and rest. Uh, I'm no longer driven by those carnal desires that I once was. And the end result of everything I've just mentioned is an incredible feeling of freedom that I can't even begin to put into words for you. But it's real and it's lasting and it's wonderful. One of the things that Pastor Ed talked about was the need to develop a relationship with the Lord so that we can overcome our self-life. And maybe you have begun to make that habit of daily time in the Word and prayer a priority in your life. And that's good. But we also need to continue to focus on God throughout our entire day so that our thinking doesn't revert back to the ever-present flesh nature. And I'm not talking just about outward sins, obvious sins, but unfruitful, self-centered attitudes in our hearts. So I want you to listen to a conversation that Rose Cologne, our former director of women's counseling, had with Mike Johnston regarding the book Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. They discuss in this interview how we can extend our focus on God beyond our morning time so that our minds are filled with the fruit of the Spirit throughout our whole day. 
Rose Cologne has joined us in the studio. Rose is the Director of Women's Counseling here at Pure Life Ministries. Rose, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. It's good to be back here, Mike. Rose, we're going to continue our discussions in a little booklet by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. And in today's program, we want to look at a chapter that he entitled Practice Necessary to Acquire the Spiritual Life. What is a spiritual life? What do we mean when we say a spiritual life? A spiritual life is... A reality of God in your life. Mm. I mean, really, when you think about it, which will include spending time with him, mm-hmm. spending time in his word, yeah. spending time in his presence, yeah. communicating with him. Yeah, that's good. I, I know so many of the men that come into our live-in program, and I'm sure you find this true with the women that you're counseling as well, is so many of us have been brought up in an evangelical America where a spiritual life is all about doing things. You know, going yeah. to church, handing out tracts, and all of those mm-hmm. things are good things. Mm-hmm. But man, how many of us missed the importance of having that intimacy with the Lord? And if you don't have that, the rest of it's in vain. Yes, it is. Because it's really self-effort. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, you're operating out of self-works Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. Well, it's like trying to be a branch without being connected to the vine. You just end up this withered up branch (laughs) of no good but to be thrown away in the fire, Mm -hmm. Jesus put it that way. Well, he did an excellent job in this chapter talking about six necessary practices to acquire that kind of spiritual life, that intimacy with the Lord. And let's just go through these. What does he talk about in his first point? The first point, he states the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. Mm Mm-hmm. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, Mm. speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons and at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. This is especially important in times of temptation, sorrow, separation from God, and even in times of unfaithfulness and sin. Wow. You know, I I would almost hesitate to rewrite what he said, but I would say especially in times of unfaithfulness and sin. That really jumped out to me just because recently I've been just struggling, you know, just the struggle with the flesh. But one of the things that God showed me, and the reason this really jumped out to me, is that the biggest mistake I can make during those times is to pull away from the Lord. Yes, And he's is. been using it to draw me and to teach me mm-hmm. that, no, Mike, especially now when you're going through the battle, especially when you're facing temptation, mm-hmm. draw close to me. And it's made such a tremendous difference. Yeah, yeah. He welcomes us. He understands. I think of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, where it talks about he sympathizes with our weaknesses and yeah. we can come before his throne of grace and find mercy and grace in our time of need. Yeah. And if I'm struggling throughout my day with whatever, whether it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride, mm-hmm. whatever it might be in my thought life, God wants me to be in his presence Yes, while I'm struggling in yeah. the sense of crying out to him, turning to him, acknowledging, God, I need you. I can't do this yeah. without you. I believe he's teaching us through mm-hmm. the different things we face yeah. as we go through our daily life, how to turn to him Mm -hmm. and stay turned to him. You know, the wonderful thing I saw that he said in here, too, was not limiting the conversation in any way. Talk a little bit about what that meant to you. Again, just the reality that I could talk to God anytime. Mm -hmm. When I'm driving the car, when I'm at my desk, when I'm in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Craziest people might think we are. (laughs) Yeah, but I can talk to him at any time. It's wonderful. When I'm walking, 
Yeah. When I'm laying in bed, when I can't sleep, mm-hmm. I can be turning to God yeah. in those times. Yeah. And a lack of formality is what I heard him saying, too. Just be ourselves. Just talk to him. Right. Yeah. God loves an honest heart. Yeah. That's what I'm learning, yes. that he loves when we're honest with him. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a comfort because I can go to him and say, Lord, I know you're telling me to walk in this way, maybe, or to love so-and-so. Mm-hmm. In my heart, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. Yeah. But I'm going to choose to yeah. be a blessing anyway because of what you did for me. And you know what I hear hearing that again is I hear humility. Yeah. A willingness to say, God, I know you're telling me to do this, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to do it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't feel like doing it. Mm -hmm. Lord, help me. I need your help. I need you to change my heart. And that's a wonderful freedom to be able to do that. What did he have to say in point two? In point two, he said, we must try to converse with God in little ways while we do our work, not in memorized prayer, not trying to recite previously formed thoughts. Rather, we should purely and simply reveal our hearts as the words come to us. Well, we kind of got ahead of, ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I didn't realize that, that yeah. in part two, I, part one. I didn't either. <laughs> uh, but it's just as true in point two as it was in point one. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing here. We, we just love talking about the Lord. <laughs> But it's so true. And let's just shortly reiterate what we were saying. Basically, what he's saying here is we can be real with God and we can talk to him all day long, just all through the day. It's just a wonderful thing. Right. For me, I like looking at nature. Even if I hear a bird or just something in creation, it just, it makes me want to just open my mouth and say, Lord, you're so amazing. Yes. You know, you're so awesome. You even thought of providing this tree with berries on it to feed the birds is amazing to me mm-hmm. in the middle of the winter where there's nothing else but that one tree. Yeah, <laughs> You know, you see things like that about God and creation and it should cause us to Yeah. You know, really, to <laughs> we're going to be all out of order here, but it, that's okay. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're not formalist here but because that really takes us to point four. We're going to skip three and go to four because he talks about just having this adoration So just throughout the day, just praising the Lord, and and I'm the same way. I love nature, Mm -hmm. and so when I see something, and we have birds outside our house, and and there are some mornings where I just say, Lord, you're so great, or if I see God doing something in somebody's life, Mm -hmm. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in that person's life, you know, just giving him that praise and just expressing the wonder I have at the marvelous way he works. That's a good way of saying it, the wonder. Yes. It's just a wonder. It's like, Lord. You just, words can't even describe. You're just yes. amazing. Yeah. Brother Lawrence in that point four, I know we skipped over three. We'll come back but, to three. <laughs> but four, he says this, and, and this is basically what I believe we're trying to express. He said, I do believe that it is a common mistake of spirit-filled persons not to leave the cares of this world from time to time to praise God in their spirits and to rest in the peace of his divine presence for a few moments. Isn't that beautiful how he said that? Just how we can escape Mm -hmm. the cares of this world Mm -hmm. by just turning to him and say, Lord, thank you. Yes. Thank you Mm -hmm. for creation. Thank you for the wonderful work I see you doing in my brother's life or in my sister's life. Yeah. Yeah. What wonderful peace we can have if we'll do exactly what Brother Lawrence is suggesting here. Yeah, just take a minute to shut everything down and just 
in his presence. Mm-hmm. Focus on him. Lord, thank you for your grace. Yeah. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you're helping me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Rose, we're out of time, and we'll have to continue this discussion next week. Rose Cologne, thanks so much for talking to us about practice necessary to acquire the spiritual life and that importance of having intimacy with the Lord. God bless you, Mike. Okay, I hope you can see by now that if we just try to add God into the way we want to live our lives, we cannot expect things to change. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said again. He said, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. That's not a little add-on to my life. That's a life where the Spirit is in control. So I want to finish off today by playing an interview with Kathy Gallagher. And she discusses the importance of surrendering to the will of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And she'll help us to see that if we are in a right relationship with the Spirit of God, we can and will overcome besetting sin in our lives. We will be able to really please God. Kathy Gallagher has joined us in the studio. Kathy is the co-founder of Pure Life Ministries. Kathy, it's great to see you again. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. Kathy, we want to continue our discussions in a book by Andrew Murray called Absolute Surrender, and today I want to focus on the chapter entitled Separated Unto the Holy Ghost. In this chapter, he quotes a verse from uh, Acts 13, 1 through 4, where Barnabas and Saul are being prepared for the ministry that they've been given, and he quotes this part of the verse, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. And he comments on this passage, Kathy. He said, in the story of our text, we find some precious thoughts to guide us as to what God would have of us and what God would do for us. Why don't you read the great lesson that he pulls from that? Yeah, it's a blessing. The Holy Ghost is the director of the work of God upon the earth. And what we should do if we are to work rightly for God, and if God is to bless our work, is to see that we stand in a right relation to the Holy Ghost that we give him every day the place of honor that belongs to him, and that in all our work and what is more, in all our private inner life, the Holy Ghost shall always have the first place. Now, let's take what he wrote there and just kind of pull this apart, uh, starting with his first statement there, that the Holy Ghost is a director of the work of God upon the earth. When we look at what our life is about here on the earth, as Christians. You know, we can get very busy and we can be about doing a lot of things, but if we're looking to the Holy Ghost to empower us, what is it really that he's empowering us to do here on the earth? His work. He's empowering us to follow his program. He's got a mission. He's got goals. He's got a plan. Now, I want to back up from that because when we look at the life of the average Christian, When we look at the men and the women that are coming to us whose lives are falling apart, Mm -hmm. they've gotten into sexual sin, isn't one of the common threads that we see that people who are professing to be Christians aren't seeking God's will at all for their life? They may be going to church on Sunday, they may be even reading their Bible, but when it comes to living out their life, they're pretty much doing what they want to do. Yeah, that's very true, and examples abound of people that are just doing their own thing and adding God into it. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of that is because Christians haven't been taught that they ought to be seeking God for how they're living their lives. Yeah. 
and they may not be being taught that, and it is definitely a huge problem. But we have an inward teacher, mm-hmm. and he will lead us. But I think the problem with people that struggle with, why isn't God speaking to me? Why isn't he leading me? Is because we don't know how to wait. Mm. He mentions next, uh, Kathy, that once we've nailed down the reality that the Holy Ghost is the director of the work of God upon the earth, that we ought to be seeking the Lord for what his will is for our life on the earth. He mentioned what we should do if we are to work rightly for God and if God is to bless our work. Talk a little bit about what he's, he's saying there. Well, what I think is that we are very prone to be doers. Mm-hmm. We're producers. Yeah, Americans are producers, and we can work, quote, for God, but not be working the works that he has laid out for us. We can go completely off the rail with right. what we're doing, and it's just, again, so important for everybody, whether you're a, a mom with kids or a man in ministry, a, a man who's an executive, whatever it is, God has a will. What is that will? What does he want you to do? And is that important to you? Is that in the forefront of your mind? And are you seeking out? And in your seeking, are you able to wait? You know, that that mm-hmm. is the big thing to me is how impatient. Yeah. I'm saying that because I've been that way. Right. Yeah, I, me too. <laughs> I have been so impatient. And it's like, I get these thoughts and I think, oh, okay, so that's it. I'll do that. And how many times I have just like taken off mm. assuming mm-hmm. that it was something that the Lord wanted me to do and it never was. And so there was no blessing on it. Yeah. I would trip and fall and stumble and just run into walls. Yeah. And so as he's led me through these last few years, he has led me because I'm learning, I'm learning how to wait mm. and how to pray. And how to care more about what he wants than mm. what I think he wants. Mm. One of the things that Andrew Murray says in here that I really loved our great commander organizes every campaign, and his generals and officers do not always know the great plans. They mm. often receive sealed orders. Mm-hmm. That's neat the way he said that. Yeah, I love that, yeah. and it's true. And yeah. they have to wait on him for mm. what he gives them as orders. Mm. And I know, again, from my own experience, it's very frustrating to wait. Yeah. That really leads me to the the next thing I want to ask you about that Andrew Murray said here. In order to do these things, not the doing, but the waiting, Mm, (laughs) the doing of the waiting, (laughs) you have to be in a right relation with the Holy Ghost. He said that we have to give him every day the place of honor that belongs to him, that he has to have preeminence in our inner world, Mm. not just when it comes to the religious things of our life, I mean religious things in the good sense, the right sense of religion, but he has to have the preeminence in our inner life always. And when you think about it, when we allow that to happen, it changes everything. Yeah. It changes the way you do ministry. Yes. Ten years ago, I mean, my whole Christian life, I've known about the Holy Spirit, Almost as soon as I was saved, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know what it's like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to have my life radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've known that and I've walked in that. My ministry life was that. But somewhere you grow up. Mm. And I mean that in a negative way. Mm -hmm. You grow up out of need and Mm. the busyness and the the needs around you and just the pressures all kind of take you away from 
where you need to be, which is at the foot of the cross, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. pleading with the Lord for help. You kind of start depending on yourself. And I know that I'm back at the place where I know, and I want to say this to listening ears, you will never get to a place where you don't need God. Yeah, right. You will always need him desperately. Whether or not you're in in the reality of your desperate condition Mm -hmm. for him. And I don't mean just, oh, I hate myself and uh, the Mm self-loathing. I don't mean that. I'm just talking about you understand you can do nothing Nothing. apart from him. But through him, you can do everything. And that is a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the things that the disciples were able to do once they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Before the Spirit came right up to Calvary. They failed miserably. But after the cross, when they went into the upper room, they prayed, they waited. Mm -hmm. I love that word. Um, (laughs) The Lord sent the promised Holy Spirit. And then they had what they needed to do ministry. And they don't seem to, any of them have went crazy. They they all stayed. (laughs) Well, they went crazy, but in the right way. In the right way. That's right. They (laughs) were filled with power. People were being healed. Demons were cast out. I mean, it was just an amazing thing. But that came through the power of the Holy Spirit and them waiting for him to come. And Jesus did what he said he would do through their lives. And why won't he do that? I mean, why wouldn't he do that through our lives? Yeah. Well, Andrew Murray, later on in this article, warns of the very thing that you talked about, that we have to be very careful not to grow out of that place of need. Mm-hmm. And it is most dangerous in ministry. Mm. You know, I, I know when I started ministry, I knew I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. And so God was able to move in me in tremendous ways and use me in tremendous ways. But I can look back and I just saw as I started to grow up in my own mind, you know, and, and what I was experiencing was I was experiencing God using me. Right. But the danger of that is that you lose that sense of need. Yeah. You know, of course, Paul talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. We know all about that, but we're not all that we're going to be. Right. You know, and thank God he knows that. Right. But he is going to bring us to completion, and we are looking forward to that day when we will truly be free from this body of sin and death. Praise the Lord. And we will know what it means to be completely filled (laughs) with the Holy Spirit. Filled Uh, up. It will be it will be wonderful. Yeah. But, and I think alluding to, to something that you said, he wants us to have a taste of that now. That's his heart for us. Uh, and if we really want him to use us, if we really want to walk in his will and, and be a blessing, then we have to yield in every aspect of our life, as he, as he titled the little booklet here, Absolute, Absolute Surrender. Surrender. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for talking to us today about that. All right. Thanks, Mike. If you're truly striving to put your sexual sin to death, I want to encourage you. The roots of this sin go way deeper than you have probably realized, and the battle against selfishness and pride can be really exhausting. Just remember Ed Book's statement that this is a lifelong process to see these things overcome in our lives. But if we are relying on the Spirit, we are never going to be alone in this battle, and He will be victorious in us. If you haven't been looking for freedom, and if you're stuck and haven't even gotten started, I would urge you to cry out to God for his spirit to come and help you. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that only the righteous will enter, but God does have the power to make you righteous 
through his spirit. So seek God at all times. Continue to ask him for victory and the grace to deny yourself and to walk by the power of his spirit each day. That's all for this episode of Purity for Life. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.